Welcome to the Hornets Hivecast, presented by Charlotte Eye, Ear, Nose, and Throat Associates, the official eye, ear, nose, and throat care provider of the Charlotte Hornets. Here's your host, Sam Farber. Welcome to another edition of the Hornets Hivecast, your Hornets podcast with all the notes, quotes, and daily buzz around your favorite NBA team. I'm Sam Farber, and it is a pleasure and a privilege to have you with us here once again on the Hornets Hivecast, brought to you by Senta, Charlotte Eye, Ear, Nose, and Throat Associates, the official eye, ear, nose, and throat care provider of the Charlotte Hornets. It's a game day edition for your Hornets. They'll take on the defending world champion Denver Nuggets, and it's also a holiday edition. It's the holiday season, but it's my producer, Rob Longo's favorite holiday, or at least favorite one made up from a Seinfeld episode, Festivus. That's right, a Festivus for the rest of us. We'll talk his favorite Festivus things, mine is feats of strength. We'll talk about it all as well as the matchup tonight with Denver on this edition of the HHC. So, welcoming in here, my producer from the Hornets Radio Network, as well as the producer of this fine podcast, Rob Longo. Happy Festivus, buddy. I got a lot of problems with you people, and now you're going to hear about it. Happy Festivus. Got the pole up back home, the metal pole in the corner, ready to go, ready for Feats of Strength. Sam and I already did the Feats of Strength to determine who is the king of the radio studio. We're not going to tell you who won. We're just going to leave it at that, but yeah, happy to be here. Sounds like he won. Uh, Well, you know what? Happy Festivus to you. I think we're starting to reach, probably well past the range now, where if we mention Festivus, none of the players would have any idea what we're talking about. That that shows too far in the rearview mirror. You're making us feel old. I'm definitely old. Uh, You're you're not quite there yet, but thankful that you have an appreciation for Seinfeld, one of my favorite shows of all time. One more thing here for this holiday season. I want to mention this. The Hornets in official roofing contractor, Guy Roofing, recently concluded a multi-day community initiative. Hornets, Tinsel, and Tidings, presented by Guy Roofing, providing holiday cheer and presents for a group of 20 students at Charlotte Mecklenburg's Westerly Hill Academy. A great initiative. You can learn more at Hornets Give on social social media. That is a real thing for real holidays that the Hornets and their partners Guy Roofing have recently concluded that we wanted to highlight here. But you are the Festivus fan, so we'll go into the fake holiday and allow you to direct us where you will. This is your baby here. Uh, Where would you like to go? The airing of grievances, perhaps? How do you feel about Festivus? Well, I don't know how I feel about going from something that was such a great community initiative from Guy Roofing to something that is kind of tied in with airing grievances and beating up people with feats of strength and all those sorts of things. But at any rate, I mean, let's just go ahead and start with, let's air some grievances. I feel like we got a lot on our chest here. I know the Hornets are in the middle of a six-game losing skid. Things have not been great, obviously, both injuries, absences, maybe some calls that have not gone the Hornets' ways in a couple of games. That might be a grievance or two. So let's just air some grievances. Just air them out. You want me to go first? Oh, there's a lot. I mean, I think the injuries obviously have been something to really just be frustrated about. And it's one of those things you just, there's nothing you can really do about it. It's one of those situations where it's just bad timing on all fronts. I know that none of these are season-ending injuries, thank goodness, and these guys are going to be back sooner rather than later, but it's just certainly frustrating where it's like kind of a night-in, night-out basis of can the injury list get any longer sometimes it feels like and it's it's just been really frustrating for me and I know it's been frustrating for a lot of these fans but I think that's the kind of the I don't even want to call it the elephant in the room because we've acknowledged basically every podcast I feel like or any time that we're on the air broadcasting a Hornets game so that's probably the biggest grievance that I have to air yeah that that is the difficult part of this and and I mean the 
injuries make it so frustrating because it is hard to decipher what the road forward is. If there were not the injury and absence issues, I think you could make a determination maybe at this point off the record and, and say, all right, something needs to change here. But because there have been so many injuries and absences and because we're at a point in the quote unquote rebuild from when Mitch Kupchak took over that things should start to come together, you kind of want to give it the time to, to, to realize what you have. And, and furthermore, I think the most important thing here is, is that Charlotte's reached a point of roster maturity right now where you're about to have guys cash in like a P.J. Washington for contracts that represent closer to their true value. I think the hardest thing for teams that are in a rebuild to do is to graduate from that developing talent, acquiring talent infancy of the rebuild and get to the contending portion because when you look at their benches, they tend to be stockpiling a lot of recent picks. And so those players don't represent big dollar values, which is what you kind of need to make trades in the modern NBA because that's how the trade system works. It's not a talent for talent thing per se, although oftentimes it is. It's a contract for contract type of thing. So when you have guys who are talented but are all on rookie deals or second-round pick deals or whatever it is in the the case of the Hornets, those are not easy to trade for other pieces to other places in a situation like, let's throw out a contender, like Boston. The end of their bench, or Philadelphia, the end of their bench is represented by guys who have been in the league a long time. They're making more money. Even if they're on one-year deals, they're making more money. Not that you would want to trade for those necessarily, except in certain circumstances. So it, it, it makes it very difficult. I think the injuries is the biggest grievance we all have, outside of me maybe pinning you to this topic after uh, the the happier thoughts of uh, the Hornets celebrating the holiday season with official roofing contractor Guy Roofing for Hornets Tinsel and Tidings presented by Guy Roofing. But yeah, it, it is a frustrating thing here for this Festivus holiday. It certainly is, and I think that it's one of those things too where you talked about you're trading basically contracts for contracts, and a lot of time that talent doesn't add up with those contracts. There's a lot of bad deals out there that GMs are trying to get off the book, and vice versa. If you have somebody that might be on a little bit more of an inexpensive deal and the talent level is there, then that's going to make that contract, I don't even want to say player, that contract much more valuable, sought after, whatever adjective you want to use. So it's kind of a very difficult thing to navigate, especially when you're kind of in this purgatory now that exists in the NBA where 10 teams make the postseason with the play-in tournament, and you kind of kind of navigate that where, all right, are we within the earshot of the 10 seed? Are we within the earshot of a top six? What moves do we need to do in order to obtain that goal. And I think that's something that we've seen over the last couple of seasons, ever since the playing tournament has been introduced and people are starting to get an idea of it about reevaluating what teams do at the trade deadline. And I think that's something that GMs are still trying to figure out as well. And it makes things a lot interesting, but yeah, airing of grievances is something that I think we could go on and on for. I'm going to air a little bit more real quick. I'm going to go ahead and just say some of the disparities in fouls for the Hornets have been something that have been really frustrating. And I think I go back to that game Wednesday night in Indiana is the biggest prime example. And I know I'm nitpicking. This is a very, very one instance where this happened, but Tyrese Halliburton comes crashing down the lane on Brandon Miller, completely out of control, flails his body into Brandon Miller. Brandon Miller is retreating, standing still straight up and down, not initiating any contact. And he gets called for a foul. And again, I think we can 
pick a million examples out of the Philadelphia game just because of the way Joel Embiid decides to play basketball. But again, that might be a different podcast topic for a different podcast. So again, something that I have noticed is just the disparity. And I know that the Hornets are slap happy sometimes. I know they slap down on the ball and they reach a lot and they get called for fouls and that's going to happen. And that's a big reason why there is so much foul disparity between the Hornets and whoever opponent they are playing. But there are some times where it's just not even a benefit of the doubt that they get. I don't think that's entirely wrong at all. I, I think that's something that is uh, shared by a lot of Hornets fans, the frustration. Sometimes, you know, your reputation precedes you, and so the Hornets have had a lot of fouls that they've committed, and so sometimes it, it puts uh, the referees in a certain mindset, or at least so we've been told. But uh, in any case, yeah, I think that's a, a fair airing of grievances. I'm going to wish for a feat of strength. I'm going to wish for the strength of patience for everyone involved because we are still so early here in the campaign. We are roughly at this stage now about a third of the way into the season. I think after tonight's game against Denver, uh, the Hornets would officially have hit that one-third mile marker or, or something close to it. Uh, Char- Charlotte Hornets have played 26 games, so 27. Let's see. That's uh, Yeah, that puts us right there. So after tonight's game, the Hornets will have hit the one-third mark. And as of now, obviously the record's not where anyone wanted it or expected it to be at 12 games below 500. But just consider this. Since the play-in tournament has been instituted, there was one year where everyone had to be above 500 to make it. That was, of course, the season where Charlotte went 43-39 and and ended up the 10 seed. Very unfortunate luck on that one. But more often than not, teams that are not just a little below 500, but significantly so, have still made their way into the play-in tournament and at times still made a run at a postseason berth. And the the case in point, the one that comes best to mind, is actually that same season, 21-22. If you look on the other side of the ledger, the Western Conference, there was not one, but two teams that were 10 games below 500 or worse and still made the play-in tournament. One of them, the New Orleans Pelicans, made it in to the eight-team Western Conference playoff bracket. Pelicans that year finished 36 and 46. They, of course, famously started that season, I think, what, they were one and I'm going to say 13? Got a guess here for that one? I remember it was bad. 1-12. 1-12. in 12. I was so close. 1-12 yeah. in 12 was what they started off the season. Uh, ended up winning, after that point, 35 of their next 60, almost 70 games. So, you know, it certainly can be done, I guess, is the point. And the other team that was in it that fall into that category of significantly below 500, the San Antonio Spurs. They were 14 games below 500, still made the play-in tournament. So Charlotte, it's not looking great right now, given their record at 7-19 and given the fact that they've lost six in a row, but the absences and injuries are a huge explainer for that. We'll hope for some good news heading into tonight. But even with all of these injuries and absences, the Hornets are still within five games of a postseason position. There's plenty of time to make up that kind of gap just with the Hornets turning things around. We'll continue our Festivus-themed episode here. Of course, we will get to our preview of Hornets versus Nuggets in a little bit, but we want to talk about another feat of strength. There was a recent article in The Athletic talking about dunking, and we'll dive into that next here on the Hornets Hivecast. Sam Farber, Rob Longo here with you on the HHC, the Hornets Hivecast, brought to you by Senta. Sam Farber, Rob Longo here with you. And Rob, we like to look through all of the major publications, looking for story ideas, looking for segment ideas, things we can talk about here on a daily basis with all our great fans on the Hornets Hivecast. There was an article that caught my eye. It's by Tim Cato in The Athletic. It was published in the uh, last couple of days here, and it's titled, Dunking Hurts, Why Players Hate 
and love the NBA's greatest feat. And it talks about dunking, how it's, you know, a play that just captures everyone's attention and imagination, but it comes with a lot of pain on players because you're attacking a metal rim. You're doing it 10 feet off the ground, which depending on how tall you are to begin with, like Mark Williams can just kind of get up on his tippy toes and, you know, that that's it. That's the Must dunk. be nice. Must be nice. But for most players, and particularly most guards who have the ability to soar and score, coming back down, that's a lot of wear and tear on the knees, on the ankles, on the joints in general. One former Hornet was featured prominently in this one, and it's Dennis Smith Jr., ninth pick in the 2017 draft. He entered the league with a record-tying 48-inch vertical, and he talked about in the article how you know his landing point when he was younger, he used to land on one leg, and that forced him into some injuries. Not forced him, maybe that's not the right word, but it inevitably maybe it resulted con- in injuries. Yeah, contributed to injuries there, and recovering from knee surgery, he learned to land on both legs rather than landing on just one to try and minimize some of the wear and tear, but it had a significant impact. He said in the article he believes it had an effect on his shooting form overall just the damage that was done from dunking. There's also the damage done in violently trying to throw the ball through the rim. Uh, your hands are hitting metal a lot. So that, you know, we occasionally hear about players having a hand injury for that type of thing. And then the long-term wear and tear person that I've had the, the great fortune to work with in sports radio before having this job here, uh, the great Marcus Johnson, old school, former UCLA Bruin, a legend there. He was the Naismith College Player of the Year in 1977, and he attributes dunking, his ability to do so as one of the major reasons why he won that award. Obviously had a long NBA career. He's still the broadcaster for the Milwaukee Bucks and I think up until this last year he was still dunking on his birthday. That was his birthday gift to the world. Every single year he would dunk on his birthday. I'm not sure if he did it this year but he had done it for a very, very long time. But anyways, the article I thought was really good, really interesting. It's a part of basketball that obviously fascinates us and that we are entranced by. But the same time, it does come at a physical cost for some of these players, either immediately if an injury happens on the play or cumulatively. It makes sense. I mean, when you think about it and you go back to older days where, you know, Shaquille O'Neal was able to rip down a rim, you can't do that kind of stuff anymore because of these rims and the durability of them. So I would say even if you go back maybe 20, 30 years, dunking might have not been maybe as bad for your body as it is today because you're just there's no give on those rims. I know that the whole hoop is supposed to come down if you have enough force on it, but you don't see that very often anymore. You don't obviously see backboards getting shattered these days like Jerome Lane or Shaquille O'Neal or anything like that. But at any rate, it's one of those things where it makes sense and you understand why some players kind of avoid it. There's times where if there's somebody that's closer on a rim, maybe they just hop up and they just kind of levitate the ball and just let it fall in and do it that way is kind of a quasi-dunk. They don't really hang on a rim or anything like that. And then you got guys like Miles Bridges and Nick Richards who are going to throw down a dunk and they might do a chin-up on a rim and that sort of thing to really drive home a point. But, I mean, if you think about it at the time, during the moment, in the moment, you probably have so much adrenaline going through your body that you don't even realize that you just smacked your hand off of metal piping and it really hurts because, I mean, if it did, then a lot more people certainly wouldn't do it. But it's one of those things that... That electrifies people. It amazes us. We still have the dunk contest, obviously, in the NBA All-Star Games. Heck, I remember whenever I was growing up and I was in a basketball camp at my local high school, there was a Division One prospect, real tall kid, easily could
could dunk. And our reward was if we did the drill right, he would dunk for us. And we would be like, oh my goodness. I mean, we're in like third, fourth grade. He'd be like, oh my goodness, this is amazing. It's I awesome. can't believe you've done it. It's great. It's awesome. It energizes people. It could be a momentum shift. I mean, you go back to several big moments in NBA history. There's always a dunk of the year every time. There's always those iconic moments. I think a lot of people still think of, I know it's technically maybe not a dunk, but a lot of people still think of Blake Griffin in LA just throwing the ball down on several people, even though he's spiking it into the hoop rather than hanging on it and that sort of thing. DeAndre Jordan had so many great dunks. Vince Carter, of course. I mean, maybe the way to go is just sticking your whole arm in a rim and then having it pin on your elbow. Maybe that's less painful. I don't know. How about Michael Jordan? Michael Jordan, of course. Oh my goodness. I mean, yeah, iconic moments. I mean, he has a logo encapsulating that moment. They're plays that just, they they capture the imagination. They're special and and they're never going to go away. I I think it's it's something that is special to basketball. It's kind of like a home run in Major League Baseball where it's something magical that that it just immediately captures your attention. But the dunk is something a little bit different in just the variety, I think, that you can have. A home run, as special as they are, they all kind of look the same. It's all, you know, deep drive one way or the other, either, you know, pulling it or poking it to the opposite field. But in basketball, there's so many different ways in which you can finish a play with a dunk, and they're all exciting, and they, and they all bring a lot of energy to the crowd and a lot of energy to the audience. I love them. One more thought on this, and definitely encourage you to read the article. It's available now in The Athletic. The article, Dunking Hurts, Why Players Hate and Love the NBA's Greatest Feet by Tim Cato, recently put out by The Athletic. My friend Marcus Johnson, who was quoted in this one, old school, he does still dunk on his birthday, and it says actually at the end, he's still going to attempt to do it, even though he's recently had surgery, still hasn't missed a birthday. It takes him a few more attempts, the article says, uh, but he still tries to do it. And at the end of the article, you know, he's obviously had a lot of time in the NBA. He's had surgeries since being a player. And the question was asked to him, if you knew what you would be going through now, essentially, what would you tell your younger self about dunking? And the article says that he kind of turned it around and said that he would tell his 16-year-old self, do it until the wheels come off. And that's kind of the, the attitude that you love to see from players. It, you know, We're, we're all going to age. We're all going to eventually not going to be able to do the things we used to be able to do when we were younger. Neither Rob or I could dunk. I'm going to go out on a limb here and say, I know I couldn't, Rob. I mean, if it's an eight-foot rim, I might be All able right. to give it a little bit of a shake. Otherwise, gravitational pull is working. It, it's wonders Gravity on both is working of us. Well. But uh, in any case, an interesting article, an interesting perspective. I uh, definitely encourage you to check it out. Dunking Hurts, Why Players Hate and Love the NBA's Greatest Feat by Tim Cato in The Athletic. All right, it is a game day edition of the HHC Hornets versus the defending champion Denver Nuggets. We'll preview it for you next here on the Hornets Hivecast. Sam Farber, Rob Longo here with you on the Hornets. I've cast brought to you by Senta. Charlotte's record 7-19 and heading into work today. Still within about five games of a top 10 position, uh, but definitely would be a great time to pick up a W. It's the last home game of 2023 here for the Hornets. Charlotte's lost six in a row. Playing Denver is not necessarily the recipe to fix those things, but it is an opportunity playing at home. And I might add, Denver had to play last night, so they are on a road, road, back-to-back, the most difficult of all of the back-to-backs to have to traverse. It was a situation Charlotte capitalized on earlier this season when they took down Boston inside Spectrum Center. Uh, so there is some precedent for the Hornets to capitalize 
capitalize on this specific kind of opportunity. Plus, the Hornets are on multiple days worth of rest. Rob Longo, we need players to watch and a stat to watch. Where should we begin? Let's go with the easy one. That's Denver player to watch. you got to go with the former MVP, Nikola Jokic. Honestly, could have been the MVP last year as well, but I know there were some historical implications in that, and not everybody wanted to vote for him, but I digress. Monster games last year against Charlotte. I think he had a 40-point triple-double at one point. I want to say he had like 42-27 and like 13 in that first game out there in Denver where the Hornets ended up only losing by four. LaMelo Ball had a big game, which unfortunately, based off the injury report, we're not going to see LaMelo tonight. But again, the center depth has been a little bit of an issue as of late here for Charlotte just because of the injuries, which again, broken record, something we talked about in the first segment, blah, 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 yada, yada, yada. Nicole Jokic, just easily the best player on the floor in the game probably tonight because LaMelo Ball is out. I'm just kidding. But in all seriousness, Jokic is just one of those guys where he makes a play and you're like, how can a guy with this kind of size and this skill set make that play? It's remarkable what he's able to do out there. He just makes everybody around him better. This year is no different. So you got to go with Jokic. I think that's the best answer there. It's the it's the correct one, quite frankly, because Jokic is that dominant. It doesn't really matter what defense you throw at him, he's going to be able to decipher it and come away with the victory. I have to go in a different direction. I think one strategy that will often be employed when you're taking on Denver is to try and double Jokic. That leaves guys like Murray and Porter and Gordon, who have been such prolific scorers over the course of their careers and are really talented. They can capitalize on -on one-on-one matchups. Uh, Quite frankly, you're going to have to double a couple of them every now and again. So I'm going to look a little bit off the beaten path. I'm going to go with Contavious Caldwell-Pope as my player to watch for this one. He's a two-time champion now, once with the Lakers, once with Denver. Clearly brings a lot to the table as a starter here for the Denver Nuggets throughout the season. And he is a player who's a bit of a bellwether when he goes over 10 points per game. uh, The Nuggets are really not quite unbeatable, but they're pretty darn close to it. If they score 10 or more, he's done, or if he scores, I should say 10 or more, he's done that 13 times this season. The team is 10-3. and That's a pretty good win rate for a player. Uh, So just getting to double figures, Contavious Caldwell-Pope as a starter, you would think, shouldn't be that difficult. If he's not getting there, it's probably because his shot volume is really, really low, and that means you weren't doing enough to get the ball out of the hands of Jokic or Murray or Porter or Gordon or everyone else who is available on that team. They are definitely loaded right now, uh, but Caldwell-Pope will be my player to watch for the Nuggets, even though I'd like to go with yours, Nikola Jokic. Next up, Stat or Hornet? Let's go with a Hornets player to watch. I'm going to look at Gordon Hayward, and something that has happened normally with the way that Gordon has come back from injuries, obviously missed a couple of games in there, missed that Philly game, missed that Toronto game, was back against Indiana on Wednesday, scored 11 points, pretty solid, all things considered, after missing about, what, a week of action or so. So goes for 11 points, he ends up going... Four or six at the free throw line, three for five from the field, just a low shot volume in the game yesterday. Kind of feeling things out, did end up playing 24 minutes. But when you look at the track record for Gordon Hayward when he comes back from an injury, he's only missed three games so far this season, which has been, you know, knock on wood, better than most in a Hornets uniform. But the last time that he missed a game was back in November. He missed that Miami game. He came back. He played two games that just, quite frankly, were not good against Milwaukee and New York. I know those were games that were consecutive. First night of a back-to-back, second night of a back-to-back, so not a whole lot of time to kind of get back into the groove. And then he explodes, and he has 20 points in a win against Boston in his third game back. So a little bit better of a bounce back this time after missing two games. It seems like it might take two games for him to kind of really get 
reacclimated to everything. So hopefully, even though he scored 11 on the game on Wednesday, always plays well in his home state of Indiana. Hopefully, it's just maybe a little bit more of an accelerated return for Gordon where he's able to put up maybe 15 or 20 in the game tonight as well. So I think that's why Gordon Hayward's my player to watch tonight. Yeah, I think definitely a good one. I'm I'm anticipating him to have a nice boost. It tends to be when you're coming back from an injury or an absence, it can take a game to get back on your feet and certainly him coming off an illness where he wasn't feeling great, hard to condition, hard to get shots up, uh, hard to do much of anything when you're feeling really sick as he was. So, you know, maybe to get that rhythm back over not just the last game, but the last couple of days, uh, not having to play a game, hopefully that will boost him as well. We'll keep our fingers crossed there, but I think it's a good player to watch. Mine's going to be P.J. Washington. The anticipation is he's going to continue to come off the bench now that the Hornets are healthier, have more players available than they did when they were in Toronto and in some of these other recent contests. And if there is an area that the Nuggets might be susceptible, it's off the bench and it's the bigs. They do have some great experience there with a guy like DeAndre Jordan, as well as a really good talented young big and a guy like Peyton Watson, who's maybe more of a size comparison, I would say, with P.J. Washington. But their consistency hasn't always been there. Those starting five, they are exceptional, particularly their top four guys. But when you get to the bench, there are some good performances from time to time from a guy like a Reggie Jackson or a Christian Braun. Uh, But the bigs don't tend to contribute all that much offensively, at least not consistently. P.J. Washington's been fairly consistent about being in double figures. He does have the capability, though, of a big game, and I'm looking particularly in that first half as he mixes in with the starters and they start to have those first rotations and he has a chance to take over. Horns kind of need him to to have a chance in this one. Last but not least, a stat to watch. Let's go with points in the paint, and I'm going to go with points in the paint because Denver obviously is really good in that category, especially when you have a guy like Nikola Jokic and they have a couple slashes on there as well, like Jamal Murray. So certainly makes sense why they're top five in the association when it comes to percentage-wise getting points in the paint or the majority of their points coming from in the painted area. So I know that they're not you know, the greatest three-point shooting team. They don't take a ton of threes. They're pretty middle road of the NBA when it comes to percentage-wise, but attempts-wise, they're usually about 24th, 25th in that sense. But the other thing, too, is I'm not going to worry about the fouling as much tonight. If an individual gets in foul trouble, then it certainly could be an issue. But that's kind of the one reek this year for this Denver team is they are not very good at shooting free throws. They are dead last in the association when it comes to free throw percentage at about 72-73%. So I'm not going to worry so much about the fouling. I'm more so going to worry about the points in the paint because, again, you don't have to worry about running them off the three-point line. They don't take a ton of threes. They're probably going to drive a little bit more often. So if there is an open look in the corner, you don't really have to charge at them too, too much, especially the way that the Hornets have fouled those three-point shooters this season, and especially in that Indiana game. I think there was, what, two or three instances where Charlotte fouled a three-point shot attempt and they got three free throws. So this is one where you can kind of just make sure you run at them to make sure you set the set the defense a little bit. Just don't let them drive on you and get to that painted area where they're able to dump it off to a guy like Jokic waiting at the rim. So I think for me, the points in the paint is the battle tonight. Not more so that the Hornets have to win that points in the paint battle, but more so just limiting the number of paint touches that Denver gets. I like the stat points in the paint have definitely been something that the Hornets have had as a strength oftentimes this season. And uh, you're, you're looking for any kind of edge you can against a team like Denver. Also, 
Nikola Jokic. He could pile up so many points uh, in one of the losses the Hornets had to him last year. Jokic had a triple-double with 40 points and 27 rebounds, so he was clearly dominant on the interior. And uh, look, points in the paint, they're strength for both teams, so it's somewhere that Charlotte does have some positivity going for them that they need to accentuate here. I'm going to look in a similar spot, but uh, slightly differently. I'm looking at rebounding for this one. The Hornets have been up and down at times. It's definitely hurt them not having Mark Williams, and as of the recording of this podcast, we don't have any clarity on Mark at this point, so uh, take that for what you will. But just looking at Denver on the season, they are a good rebounding team in terms of percentage of boards that they pull in. They're in the top half of the NBA across the board, total rebounding percentage, offensive and defensive. But when you look in just the raw totals, did you out-rebound your opponent or not? The Nuggets are 11-3 and when they win the rebounding battle. They're only 8-6 and when they are either out-rebounded by the opponent or it is a tie in that category. So that's not great, but they're the defending champs. They're an elite team. So being around 500 is a stat that gives you at least some clarity. Okay, you've got more of a puncher's chance in this one where clearly the talent disparity is in favor of Denver right now with all of the injuries that the Hornets have been facing. So I'll look to rebounding to be something where if the Hornets can get the upper hand on the glass, something that they did a good job of, I thought, against Toronto and they've done against several teams this year. Uh, But if they can make that a focal point, they can come away with a win here in this one. Either way, we'll have it covered for you tomorrow with another edition of the HHC. We'll have our game review and then Rob Longo, we're into the holiday season. We've got our holiday episode of the HHC coming up just around the corner. Yeah, it's a good one looking forward to you're going to hear a lot from your favorite hornets players about gift giving things that they liked growing up maybe some gifts that still stand out to them back to this day we'll reminisce a little bit go back to our childhood roots as well that's so right we'll have be fun we'll have the, the weird gifts as well as uh, we'll do it family feud style what the uh, hornets players said was their worst gift received favorite gifts received and some of their holiday traditions we'll get into all of that in a couple of days right here on the hornets Hivecast. look forward to seeing you tonight at the hive again it's the last home game of 2023 but there are plenty more coming up in 2024 for all of your hornets action definitely go out to to hornets.com and you can make your purchase again final home game of 2023 is tonight against the defending champion Denver Nuggets but then on the other side of the new year Charlotte's going to have 26 more home games for you to choose from love to see it when the Hornets return home and host the Chicago Bulls to tip off the home portion of the 2024 schedule till next time for Rob Longo I'm Sam Farber saying it's been a pleasure and a privilege having you along we'll talk to you tomorrow right here on the Hornets Hivecast Thank you for listening to the Hornets Hivecast, brought to you by Senta, the official eye, ear, nose, and throat care provider of the Charlotte Hornets. For more coverage, visit Hornets.com.